Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Sterling White. He is a real estate investor and mentor, uh, and he also has written a book called From Zero to 400 Units, How I Found Another Path and Discovered Freedom Through Real Estate. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Sterling. Yes, I am super excited for this. First time I have been on a radio show, so now a live radio show, because we are officially live. We are officially live. That is correct. Very good. So um, we're going to go through your whole story. Just give us a very brief view of kind of how you got, before we get into the details of the real estate, how you got to going through school and getting into the real estate market. Yeah, so I'll give everyone a cliff note version. So born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana, humble beginnings, not so good parts of the, the city, single mother, uh, fraternal twin brother, almost lost my life at uh, five years old due to a stray bullet. Uh, luckily, ended up getting out of that environment. Uh, and how I got into entrepreneurship was how to figure out a way to earn money in a legal way, because there was tons of illegal activity going on around me, uh, and started with uh, Kool-Aid, then Pokemon cards, and Fast forward, got into to real estate. Uh, this was uh, twenty to 2019, not 2000, when I was 19, 2009, uh, and uh, as a laborer. But I saw and uh, through my readings, that's not how the rich and wealthy people got there and started investing. So you start your book by talking about the biggest financial mistake you ever made. What was that mistake? I do not remember what it was in the 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 book necessarily, but I believe not investing in myself. Was that what it was in the book? Well, I should said, I should know this. You said college was the biggest financial mistake. Oh yes, yes, correct. That was yeah. I mean, the other is you always want to invest in yourself, but yes, college. Uh, it was not a good ROI ROI for me. And what what when should people go to college and when should they not go to college based on your experience? Just my personal belief is the only people that should go to college are doctors, lawyers, or those type of what is it uh, occupations to where it's needed. Uh, but someone who wants to start their own business uh, or uh, just go out there and get a job outside of starting their own company, it's not necessarily needed, especially in today's age where you can get everything at your fingertips. And in colleges, they don't teach you tangible skills that you can actually use in the real world. So uh, you, you, you said you were uh, a biology major or something, or, and you were, did chemistry. You just didn't connect to it, and you didn't find the relevance of it. Is that the idea? Yes, correct. And also the electives that I took, I always fell asleep in class. It just did not work out for me. And so why was it a financial mistake? Did you take on a lot of debt? Yeah, I took, up, I took on some debt in that case, which is what uh, many uh, students have to do in order to pay the rates currently now that uh, the the for tuition. So you're saying the vast majority of people should not be going to college because it does not give you real real world skills. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. Okay, so we're not going to college. So you're called to more. Your chapter three is what your life's going to be about. So what were you called to? This was the the journey that I ended up uh, taking. Is that from the uh, environment that I came from, I knew that there was something else that was uh, out there. And I had this big breakthrough uh, in my life when I attempted a uh, world record for the world's fastest fire fireman carry mile, which I'm not a fireman, but uh, is 
that's when I started to uncover that there's just more out there for me to accomplish and be able to give back to the, the world. Okay, I didn't quite understand what you said the world record you were trying to accomplish was. What is that again? Yeah, so this was the Guinness World Record for the world's fastest fireman carry mile. So, Jordan, I carry someone of equivalent weight or heavier, but I want them as close to my weight as possible for the distance of a mile, and I have to beat a specific time. And did you get that record? No, I did not. I dropped the person halfway through the <laughs> attempt. Okay, so this is the way you're learning. So what did you learn from that experience? That fear, I had the biggest fear of failure, and I failed on that large scale. There were all these newscasters. There was all these people that came out, <laughs> friends and family, and I bombed it. I didn't even make it halfway, and I wasn't even close to the attempt if I would have made it uh, to the entire mile. But then I realized that, Failure is not so bad. Okay, so how did you recover from that failure? Uh, well, my back didn't necessarily recover as much through all the training that I uh, went through. I still have that uh, today, but that's when I ended up starting my uh, company uh, and then ended up, well, one, I got into to real estate uh, and I ended up buying my very first deal with no money uh, out of uh, pocket and then the rest was uh, history from that, but it really... Uh, came down to that pivotal moment that I realized that failure is not uh, as bad as I believe it is. And then from there, as I just kept uh, pushing as far as I can go, because failure is not as bad as I think it is. So why not go for it? So what would you recommend to somebody who's failed, how, how they can recover from that and, and not be sunken by it? Oh, man, I... I would say it starts with mindset. One of the things that helped around right before I made that, uh, I, I failed that attempt and bombed in front of uh, a lot of people is I started feeding my mind with a lot of self-improvement. I started brainwashing myself, for lack of better words, with the Earl Nightingales, the Norman Vincent Peels, the W. Clement Stones, the, the Tony Robbins, and uh, all uh, Zig Ziglar's. And from that is that w once I made that failure, is I learned a lot of lessons from those people that, hey, you fail, you go ahead and try again or try, try something else, uh, and then be able, you'll be able to accomplish it as long as you keep working towards that. And it's just feedback of what not to do. You take those lessons and then improve. Okay, so you've got this kind of positive vibe now. So what led you to real estate as a solution for you? So, well, I, I fell into it literally in a way, and this is while I was in uh, college. My friends that own a construction company. And so I had the, some free times during the, the summer and I started as a laborer. And that's why I really fell in love with real estate is just taking something that is in that that's not there or in distressed condition and then improving it and seeing the after effects. But I, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I know a lot of people are familiar with that is I, I once I read that book, uh, the rich and wealthy people do not get that way by being laborers. They were actually investors. So that's when the concept of actually investing and not exchanging time for money started to, to come about. And then that's when I wanted to start buying uh, single families. So let's talk about your first deal. How did you get your first deal done without having any money down in the, in the deal? Yeah. So how this worked is for everyone on here, I had negative funds in my bank account. So I was actually far worse than many other people and I had a, a student debt. But uh, is I still figured out a way through all the brainwashing in a positive uh, way uh, to figure out, OK, I'm at A, I need to bridge the gap between A to Z. 
And so I found uh, a mentor, a person who was actually working out at my CrossFit gym as I was training for that world record and started working for them for completely free within his property management company because he owned some apartments. And turns out that he wanted to start buying single family. Normally, it's people go from single family to multifamily, but he went from multifamily to single family. And But he didn't have the time to find the deals, but he had the cash. I didn't have the cash, but I had the time to find the deals. And then that's how that first deal came together as I found it, brought it to him. He funded the, the purchase price of the rehab and said, Sterling, go figure everything out. And that was the biggest another big benefit for me is that versus college is now I was able to go out into the real world and actually learn these skills on the actual job. So having a mentor sounds like an important part of being successful in real estate. People just can't do it on their own without any guidance or mentorship at all. They can, but it'll be a lot more tougher and there's a lot more risk involved with it. So do you do that yourself? Do you mentor other people and teach them how real estate works? Yeah, I, I do that through all my uh, content that I have out there. And then also every uh, every on an ongoing basis, I'll hop on a call with an investor that needs some help as well. So your website is sterlingwhiteofficial.com. At that website, is there are there resources to help people invest in real estate? That is correct. Completely free resources uh, as well. So tell them a little bit about specifically what's at sterlingwhiteofficial.com. Yeah, so one is a, a case study uh, that I uh, provide where it talks about the actual first deal that I put together. So I go more into the weeds on that and then just talk through, hey, this is the, the steps that you can take to actually uh, for uh, when you're starting out. These are ways how you can overcome some limiting beliefs that you may have. This is how you can structure the deal. So really give those tangible insights uh, for people. So let's again talk about your first deal. So you got mentorship from this guy. The first deal you did on your own uh, without putting any money down, explain how that worked. So I brought the deal uh, to Will. That was his, that, well, that still is his name. And so I brought the deal to him and he said the numbers make sense. Uh, he funded the uh, purchase price and then uh, also the, the rehab for the maintenance team to go in there and do the, the renovations. And of that deal, he got 90% and then I got 10% uh, equity. So that's how that deal ended up uh, coming together. And we had a operating agreement of which we both signed. Uh, so a contract. Uh, as, and that's how that first deal ended up coming together. And I, I managed the transaction with the title company. The leasing, uh, too, which so many lessons in that itself, Jordan, that I ended up learning is do not lease a property that's about 60, about 70% completed. Because uh, I didn't even know how to lease. And let alone, it's, it's better to get it closer to when it's actually done. Uh, and so those were just some uh, lessons that I ended up learning. And then shortly after, I actually bought the, the property right across from, uh, right across the street from it. What is the problem with leasing if it's 60 or 70% done? I mean, when the roof is still falling in, that's just not a good idea, as I, as I recall. It's, it's how I leased it, and I was just so giddy up. Uh, I, I didn't know what needed to be done in order for it to be show ready. I, I was trying to keep, I was trying to paint the picture for people. Hey, this is what it's going to look like at the end. But if the roof's falling, not the actual roof, but the ceilings falling in a little bit. So it, it should have waited. Very good. All right. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the money answer show. My guest this hour is Sterling white. He is a real estate investor, kind of self-taught to some extent. Only had a mentor. 
He has a book out called From Zero to 400 Units, How I Found Another Path and Discovered Freedom Through Real Estate. You can also find out more about him at his website, which is sterlingwhiteofficial.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Sterling White. He is a real estate investor and mentor. He has a book out called From Zero to 400 Units, How I Found Another Path and Discovered Freedom Through Real Estate. You can find out more at his website, sterlingwhiteofficial.com. Welcome back to the show, Sterling. Yes, and I've got, we were talking offline. I've got to reread my book because oftentimes I just, so much has happened since then. I, yeah, it, it's good that I wrote the book because it's always a good refresher on my life. <laughs> so your chapter five is what you call reality check time. What are some of the challenges involved in uh, getting, being successful in real estate? That's uh, is one of the is not wanting to be complacent and also there's the other side and i just had this conversation with someone uh, earlier uh, today is not wanting to be on the hedonic uh, treadmill so you constantly of course want to keep improving and keep uh, pushing and let's say more units more passive income but at some point in time and this is where i'm trying to figure out is where is that balance uh, so that that's one thing I would uh, share uh, on the side that I'm learning uh, to this day. You're saying that reputation is very important to be successful. How does that work? Correct. So I would it is and there's this book out there. It's called Compound Effect is when you're doing the same thing over and over and you got to make sure you're doing the right thing, too. That's a, another uh, uh, important piece. 
but is you may not see the results then and there. But if you look at it long term, and this is what most most people do is they <laughs> over uh, estimate what they can do in one year, but they underestimate what they can do in 10, 15, 20 years. Okay, and then you say you have to have property, good property management is an important part of the piece. Tell us about finding good property managers. Oh, gosh, yeah. And so I was self-managing, and which is why I don't have very much uh, hair uh, due to that, because uh, there's a lot involved with it, especially managing when I initially started 150 single families. So is a bad management of a property can turn a good deal into a bad deal, and good property management can turn a good deal to a great deal and a bad deal to a, a, a good deal. So it's very crucial to have your uh, property management company and property management uh, dialed in. So some specifically, what are some of the things you need to do to be a good property manager? What's the difference between good and bad? What are some of the specific things you need to do to have a good property management system? Yeah, I'd say first and foremost, and this is what I get mostly when taking over a property, is that they don't have boundaries with their residents is you've got some that are slow payers or let's say they'll uh, they'll, they'll take the the sob story which i do understand some people do have unfortunate uh, situations but uh, when someone's three four or five months behind on rent that's different that's a different uh story so that's one of the things is going in and saying okay well these are the expectations that we have uh 30 days then we'll just have to to move on and we'll have to uh, get another a resident so that's first and foremost is having those proper procedures in place and then also systems and processes is meaning do you have a property management software so uh, in uh, within the property management software is do you have the system when a tenant does move out okay now we're going to get our maintenance in there uh, well we're going to go in there and check off okay what needs to be replaced okay we got to do the carpet rip up the carpet put vinyl plank flooring so we got to do all that and then we got to get this quickly turn and then once we get a turn then that's when we put it up for releasing so those are all the components that you got to have is one setting boundaries with your uh, tenants uh, and residents and then also having the right systems and processes within your infrastructure uh, that way things don't start to, to fall through the cracks do people think it's easier to manage real estate than in fact it is uh, it's not. I'd say, and this is a, a common thing, and you have to assess is that many people say that no one's going to manage your property like you are. That is true to a sense, but what if you're not a good manager or you just don't have the time to manage your, your property? Because there is a lot that's involved with it. Is one, you got to deal with uh, people. So you got that element, uh, which on my second deal is I was very green behind the, the ears and the, the tenant ended up bending me over backwards with a lot of, uh, what do you call that? She she was uh, more knowledgeable about how to, what is it, uh, stretch things. You said, what was that? I said manipulate you. Yes, exactly, exactly. I was in my early 20s. She was probably early 40s, late 30s. Uh, so she definitely knew how to manipulate uh, that. So learning from those type uh, types of uh, uh, experiences. You talk about real estate wholesaling as a way for people to get started. That's kind of what you did at the beginning. But just explain what real estate wholesaling is and how you can get involved in it. So you can think of it as Walmart. Uh, for I want to keep it uh, as basic as possible. Is that in essence is you're getting a property under contract for let's say a hundred thousand dollars, 
and someone you'll find an in buyer that is willing to pay $150,000. So you've got that spread in between of about $50,000. And you may ask is why would someone pay uh, $150,000 when they when you have it for $100,000 is you're going in, you're getting the property at a deeper discount. So that's the value that you have. And then hopefully there's enough meat on the bone to where it's still a good deal at hundred and fifty thousand. So that's what wholesaling is. You get the property under contract, and then in that essence, you assign the contract to the new person, which is I wouldn't call it selling, but basically you just make that spread in between. Without having put any money up yourself is the key, the key to it. Exactly right? correct. So how do you do that? So you get the property first, and then you go find the buyer, or do you get the buyer first and then find the property? Yeah, this is the chicken and the egg. So it could go either way. Uh, myself is I would say have the the buyers already before you get the 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 deal because you wouldn't want to get the deal and then now you're trying to scramble and find the buyer and then a lot of times on these contracts that you have with the seller for instance is 30 60 days so if you're trying to scramble to find a buyer in that is that time goes by really fast so you want to already have an idea lined up of the buyer that would be a right fit for that property so you can move quickly now, in the last two years or so, when we've had the pandemic and there was a moratorium on eviction, how has that changed the real estate market in your experience? So for us, we weren't as affected. One property that was in uh, Louisville, uh, Kentucky, was actually quite uh, affected with that because we had quite a bit of blue collars with that. And how that will affect uh, things moving forward is I, I believe that will equal in some markets are a little bit differently uh, than others. So. I don't, I'm not too knowledgeable on this, on how it'll affect things in the, the future. But in your particular case, when you had prop, uh, property where there was an eviction moratorium and people weren't paying their rents, you had to carry the property anyway. So how did that affect you, you know, in, in the experience you had with it? So our tenants in the, the properties that we had on the exception of one weathered the storm through that. So we still had tenants that were paying. There, there was one property that was in uh, Louisville to where it was affected even more, but we still had enough uh, cash flow that was coming in uh, to where, well, we had enough income coming in to be able to service the debt and also have a little bit left over to pay out to our investors. So that, so that, that was the situation that we were in. So that's, but for somebody going into real estate, this could potentially happen again. Say there's another pandemic and another, uh, you know, that they can't, eviction moratorium, mm -hmm. how would you look forward to managing real estate in that kind of environment? And this is actually a great point and why I prefer multifamily where you have multiple units. Because if you have a one unit or three unit or four unit, you've got two uh, tenants that aren't paying is you're likely going to be under or you're not likely not going to be able to cover your mortgage payment. But if you have a 156 unit, uh, or a hundred uh, unit as an example, and you've got 20 tenants or 25 that aren't paying is, in that case is you still should have enough income to cover your operating expenses and also uh, your debt as well. So that's the wh why I would say the why it's better to go bigger in this case is your risk. Yeah. Another strategy in addition to wholesaling you talk about is rehabbing and rentals. So what, what's the key to being a successful rehabber and then you rent it out? So this also comes, I would say everything comes down to the, the team. Uh, and is, 
you you got to have the right systems uh, systems and processes uh, in place. Uh, and one thing that allowed us to scale so quickly is we already knew the type of renovations because so we took the cookie cutter approach, knowing that, okay, this is an outdated property. This is what we're going to go in and do. We're going to do vinyl plank flooring. We're going to do two-tone paint scheme. We're going to replace the countertops with Formica. So is it, once you have a system down such as that, that allows you to just quickly be able to, to scale in, uh, and be successful at it because you can easily replicate it. Okay. Now you said you did about 10 flips. So once you've re rehabbed something, the idea is to, to sell it right away as opposed to keep it for long-term rentals. Is that your strategy? Yeah, so quickly got out of the, the flipping and then transitioned to buy and hold. I just didn't see what well, the ROI was there, but it was just a lot more moving parts. It's also uh, more taxable, uh, a high taxable uh, event versus when you're doing the buy and hold model is it's more uh, it's it's a lower tax rate. Uh, and then also you're able to get more tax breaks from the depreciation of the property, too, that can offset your uh, income. So there's more benefits with the, the buy and hold model than the fix and flip. Now, lately, there's been a lot of supply chain disruptions. It's been hard to get the products you need to rehab places. Has that affected your views towards doing rehabs? No, because over the years, I've actually been selling during these times. It's been a great time to sell, and I'm starting to see a shift in the market. So when I have that dry powder uh, ready, uh, once things do start to turn. So you started with single-family homes and smaller apartments, and then you started going to multifamily. What's that transition? When when are you ready to move from single-family or small apartments to bigger apartment buildings? Uh, I would say it's not. It's it, it's similar to having a, a kid. So I've got a little. Uh, what is she? She just turned eleven. But is that never know when you're you're ready? But uh, is in this case is sort somewhat new when ready, but either just made the the leap is. Had the 150 single families and took a step back and said, no longer want to do this because it's very management intensive. And Jordan, this just wasn't a package of 150 single families. It was a lot of one-offs. So about 120 or so transactions because every now and then we would get a package of two to two to three. And so took a step back and said, okay, what model is even more scalable? And multifamily made the most sense in that case. So what are the advantages of multifamily? It sounds like it's much more management intensive. You've got 150 people to deal with instead of three or something. Are there, what are the upsides and downsides of multifamily? Uh, so the upside is the, the scalability is have bought 46 uh, single families and my very first multifamily property was a 46 unit deal. So it was just one buyer, 46 units in one uh, location. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but when in... So there's scalability, you get the economies of scale. But if you want to look at the, the cons is, it's too much uh, cash for a lot of people to just jump right into. Uh, so there's that. And then also there is not as many buyers as you would get on the single family side. So single family, you could sell to an investor, you could sell to a homeowner. So you've got those. But overall is for my model and philosophy, multifamily is just a no brainer. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Sterling White. He's a real estate investor who wrote a book called From Zero to 400 Units, How I Found Another Path and Discovered Freedom Through Real Estate. You can find out more at his website, sterlingwhiteofficial.com. We'll be back after this. 
Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Sterling White, a real estate investor, author of the book From Zero to 400 Units, How I Found Another Path and Discovered Freedom Through Real Estate, you can see more at his website, sterlingwhiteofficial.com. Welcome back to the show, Sterling. Yes, and that intro with that music in the background, I was just jamming out to it. I thought it was going to go a little bit longer. <laughs> okay, no problem. Okay, so we're talking about multifamily. Now, you were saying most people can't buy a 146-unit uh, you know, building all at once. So do you syndicate it, or how can the average person start getting into larger multifamily buildings? Yeah, so it's all my cash because I've got deep pockets like a doctor's coat. But no, uh, it's not. So yeah, I am doing uh, syndications and leveraging other people's or pulling together other uh, investors, others' money uh, to be able to put these deals together. So t- tell us how that works. How do you raise people's money? And is there a whole bunch of legal work to do a syndication? How, how does that whole process work? Yeah, so there is a process involved with it, and then also it is a security, so you have to be registered with the uh, SEC. And it just comes down to that how it first originally started was uh, having friends and family invest alongside us. But as we started getting to, to larger deals, that's when we started getting outside investors in, involved, uh, and that's how we were able to, 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 to uh, quickly uh, scale. So what kind of investments are you you're still doing this today? You're still raising money for multifamily uh, purchases? Uh, not today. Just where I see things in the economic uh, environment, I've put a pause on acquisitions and just have been uh, selling and stabilizing one property. So if you think multifamily is so great, why are you selling, not buying today? 
the prices just do not make sense. And it's the the most recent deal or the 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 property I have under contract now is getting a million dollars more than so we're selling it on it's two years into the project, receiving a million dollars more than our five year uh, projection. So it's I'm not seeing how people one, it's a great time to to sell, but how do you compete with those individuals? And that's how I look at it is that because I take the direct to owner approach, which there's a lot involved with that and just didn't see the ROI on time. So uh, there's, there's a lot of money coming into rental real estate right now. And you're thinking prices have been pushed up beyond what's reasonable. It's time to sell, not buy. Exactly. And I, I believe that's what Warren Buffett says is when it's people are greedy, be fearful. And when people are fearful, that's the time to be greedy. Right now, I see people being greedy. Uh-huh. And that's true across the country. You, you would not buy anywhere in the country right now. I, I would. I, yeah, I would say across the, the country. I know in some. Yeah, I would say across the country It's just sellers uh, expect uh, expectations. I do believe in other parts, though, they're starting to be more of a cool down. But still, uh, sellers expectations just haven't been coming down within market. And I, I'm a, I'm a test to that with my expectations on the property I'm currently selling. People, buyers are still paying. So, what would turn you from a seller into a buyer? What would be the conditions that make make you think that it's time to be, if everybody else is fearful, time for you to be greedy? What would that look like? Yeah. So, it would look as when I'm uh, one brokers now reaching out to me saying, "Hey, got these deal, I uh, got this deal, and uh, property sitting a little bit more longer uh, on the the market." So, that's uh, first and foremost. Or second, a black swan event comes uh, along and that causes a lot of uh, investors to something such as a black swan event that really affects the commercial multifamily space to where people are saying, I don't even want to touch multifamily right uh, now. So in a, in a, in an investment standpoint, they just want to shy away, not because of the prices are high, but is because that it's looked at as no, it's not a good investment. So there's that. And just give us an example in the past, what kind of black swan events, have happened that would want to change people from buying in the commercial real estate market? Yeah, I would say when the two, which I was not an investor, so this will actually be my first time, Jordan, to be tra- transparent on that. But I would say the 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011 timeframe when that crash happened and people were able to get properties for pennies on the, the dollar uh, and cap rates uh, or I would say cap rates. I don't know if your audience knows what cap rates are, but cap rates were very high which means if cap rates are high uh, to, to buy properties is cheap. Now it's the opposite where cap rates are low and prices are high due to that correlation. So I would say once things start to, to shift, as a prime example, cap rates start to go up and be high, then that's what I believe things will, uh, that's a good time to start buying. Some people say the reason there's a change in today's market is there's a lot of institutional buyers, real estate investment trusts, pension funds, are buying whole portfolios of both individual single-family homes and multifamily homes for apartment rentals. Uh, and that's caused a huge amount of new cash to come into the market in a permanent way. So that's one of the reasons why prices are up. Does that make sense? Yeah, there, there's that. And then also you could say individual individuals too that are not so much chasing yields. They just want a place to park their money. How do you compete with someone who is not wanting yields? They just want to park their cash. You don't. Yeah. Uh, you, you talk about this, the deal cycles. What do you mean by the deal cycles 
uh, in, in real estate and how you should kind of figure that in your buying and selling behavior. Yeah, is and I believe the cycles are just due to human nature is that we're in cycles with our emotions. And then you can even attribute that to the, the stock market. And Ray Dalio talks about this, too, uh, is how things are uh, in cycles. So real estate, it goes up. And over the, the years, I would say we've been in a super cycle uh, of seven plus or even close to 10 years of just everything steadily going up. Uh, you can buy something in 2018, 2019 and just on things going up alone, which I was a, a part that I bought a property. This was an 80 unit for 3.35 million. Two years later, sold it for $5 million. And you ask, okay, how much value did you create to the property? There was value that was added, but not enough to justify that that increase to the $5 million, except just prices just gradually going up. You're saying it's, you also say it's not always just about the purchase price or the sales price. What are the other factors you need to know to make a property uh, a good thing to buy? Uh, so I, I more so look at the uh, cash flow and then also the annualized uh, return and then also the location uh, is avoid buying in the hood. And I guess I can get the hall pass since I was born in the hood to, to say that. And so is yes, those look good on paper, but the actual execution is very uh, difficult. And then also your pool of buyers on the exit is slim too. So I would say those are some key uh, factors to, to indicate uh, when you're looking at it long-term. And then also another measurement that other investors look at is the replacement costs. Is that, okay, if this, if this property gets wiped out, could I... I, am I getting the property lower on a per unit basis than what it costs to actually build it? So I know that's another measurement that investors use as well. So it's interesting. You grew up, in, as you call it, the hood. Is there a, a, an investment case to be made for investing in the hood, buying things cheap, fixing them up? You have much more upside. Is, is there a, a case to be made for that? So... The, the way I live my life is I am very minimalistic and I try and avoid as many headaches as uh, possible and keep things uh, simple. And just with investing in, it's just more uh, is that the, the people that live there don't want to be there. I'm a, I'm a prime example of that. They want to get out and have a better uh, living. So you have that higher crime. Also, the schools aren't as good. So those are just some factors that you have. You're going to have a constant turnover of your residents, because as mentioned, or tenants, because they don't want to be there. And then also uh, is the, the vandalism. I've had properties in these uh, neighborhoods that as soon as the tenant moves out uh, is that it's high vandalism. Someone's gone in and actually stole, stole the furnace. So yes, money can be made in these uh, neighborhoods, but and it could be a high return, but it's the risk versus reward. Because uh, there's a lot that you're going to have to deal with in order to get that uh, reward and a lot more hands-on management that you have to have. So is it worth it for some people? They'll do that. It wasn't for me. How are those neighborhoods ever going to turn around if nobody ever wants to invest in them? I mean, there are people that do invest in those neighborhoods that do make that work. Uh, I, that just hasn't been my philosophy when it comes to that. And I know that's a, a good way to give back. Uh, but that's just not the path that I've taken. I've, I've attempted that, and it's just too much for me to take on. I prefer other neighborhoods when it comes to that. So you did attempt it, and you just found it too difficult to do. Correct. It's 
it's the it comes down to the execution. It's very hands-on and management intensive. And I've had times, Jordan, where my leasing agents wouldn't even feel comfortable going to those areas. So that's another piece that people don't talk about is people just aren't comfortable that she wouldn't want to go there to show people the uh, what is it to to show the unit unless she was actually packing, which at times sometimes she was packing. Wow. Uh-huh. And it's still the same today as it was when you grew up. Those areas that I grew up in are still pretty rough. Uh-huh. Well, in Indianapolis. Yes, yes. So what, one of the things you say is if the numbers don't work, you don't force them. Is that something that people do is they, they force them even if the numbers aren't working on a deal? Correct. And that's the scarcity mindset versus the abundance mindset. So explain that a little further. Yeah, so you'll creatively figure out a way to get into a bad deal. And this is actually a conversation I had with the investor last week is he said, okay, I've got this deal and I'm trying to figure out a way to structure it that the the owner, they've got this price that it just doesn't make sense for me to just buy it outright and all that. But uh, can I, can I figure out a way to creatively structure this? And I said, I know exactly where you are. Cause I was asking other investors the same question. And the end result is that it's just not a good deal for you to buy it at that. So there's no reason for you to creatively try and figure out a way to back into it. So if you have the scarcity mindset and you're not sure another deal will come around, whichever deal you do have, you'll try and figure out a way, uh, even when it's a bad deal to acquire it. But if you have the abundance mindset and know that there's just gonna be another deal around the corner, you'll just go ahead and just shuffle that, table that to the side uh, and then move on to another one. So you're saying that some of the people who are paying too much for deals today are doing exactly that. They're making the numbers work when in fact they do not work. I don't know what they're doing, uh, but it just, I don't know how they're making that work. And I made that mistake before of overpaying for a property and ended up biting me a year and a half, two years later. So it's likely I can guarantee you those deals will start to come up here soon. M- meaning people pay too much and then they realize it and then they're going to put it on the market as a, a discount price because they felt yes. too much. And uh, the market is going to start to shift. So they're likely going to have to take a haircut because one, they're not going to be able to keep operating the property because it's likely they're going to be in the negative or just breaking even. So it doesn't make sense to continually hold on to the property. Do higher interest rates impact the cap rates like that? I mean, we've had interest rates going up. The Fed is clearly going to raise rates more. Does that affect uh, the kind of buy-sell equation? Yes, and that is where we are at right now. Uh, and there has been a softening. But the thing is, also with real estate, uh, with multifamily, is that uh, the 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 prices are affected by the income produced by the property, which is derived a lot from the rents. So as inflation goes up, rents go up too. So that's also why prices have not came down as significant with the rising of the interest rates. But it's slowly starting to shift, Jordan. I'm seeing. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Sterling White. He is a real estate investor, author of a book called From Zero to 400 Units, How I Found Another Path and Discovered Freedom Through Real Estate. You can find out more at his website, sterlingwhiteofficial.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? 
Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Sterling White. Uh, He is a real estate investor based in Indianapolis. Uh, He has written a book called From Zero to 400 Units. How I Found Another Path and Discovered Freedom Through Real Estate. You can find out more at his website, sterlingwhiteofficial.com. Welcome back to the show, Sterling. Yes, I was still jamming out to that intro. <laughs> I couldn't wait until it came back. So, and there we go. <laughs> Tell us specifically about how you mentor people who want to get into real estate. Yeah, so the, the path I've taken, it's not someone who's new, new that doesn't understand, let's say, what a single pro- single family home or what uh, cash flow is. So not a complete newbie. At least they would have some uh, knowledge when it comes to investing and really just holding their hand along the process to getting to that first deal or even their, their next one if they have a few rental properties and they want to grow and scale from there. Do you have a community of buyers and sellers that you put together? No, it's the the process that I take is I do help individuals take the direct to owner approach where there's a database of owners who they can reach out to. So that's more the the, the angle I have. Your last chapter in your book is called Staying Sane, How to Focus and Do Time Optimization on the Journey. How do you stay sane when you have so many apartments and uh, buildings you're managing? So one is I've taken up philosophy. So I study uh, Stoicism is one. There's Taoism, so like the Marcus Aurelius and all those. Uh, also, is I have cut back significantly when it comes to social media. I don't even post on social media, and uh, also in the mornings is I don't check my uh, emails. I don't check my phone. I've got my phone on uh, focus mode, so I don't receive any notifications, and I check everything after uh, 12 o'clock. So I have these certain things in place as a way to allow me to stay uh, focused. How do you keep your mind sharp? You have a whole area on how you keep your mind sharp. I'd say is in this, I'm trying to think who it was, but he talks about standing guard of your own mind. So it's keeping as much negativity as I can out of my mind and uh, having that seep through and keeping as much positivity uh, as I can. I think that answers your question. What was your question again, Jordan? Just how you keep your mind sharp and... and are, yeah, that's it. Yes. Yeah. You end com- by, by choosing your path. How would you recommend people find the right path for them in real estate? Oh, yeah. So the way that I took was one, I, I found the, the mentor, but I tried different paths. Uh, and I ended up selling on one because uh, what I talk about in the book is I did wholesaling. I did fix and flip. 
I did single family buy and hold, and then I transitioned uh, to multifamily buy and hold. So I went through multiple paths. I knew real estate from a high level underneath that umbrella is where I wanted to be, but I just couldn't figure out what path uh, within that I wanted to go. So I did a variety of those, and then the one that made the most sense, that's what I went all in on and enjoyed most, and then also was in line with my skill set. If you looked at yourself now, going back to when you were starting out, what would be some of the advice you would give to your young self before you'd learned what you've learned now about real estate? Man, I'd say it's dealing with people. I have a hard time with that, and I'm still fixing it to this day and relating. Uh, so the, the thing for myself, starting out from a self-awareness standpoint, is knowing that people are not going to be as uh, not attached to your business, but as incentivized to work on your business as you are, why would they? I mean, it's not there. So that's one thing is I was really hard on people when I push uh, people because I didn't see that at the time. So that's one thing I would say to my uh, younger self. Uh, and then uh, secondly is I would say just keep putting your, your head down. So I, I would say I did a fantastic job when it came to that is I got I didn't get into any distractions, whether that's being in the, the dating uh, or let's say parties, all that stuff, which a lot of uh, kids were doing around my age. I just focused on business self-improvement and that ended up setting me up for a later point. So that's what I would say to myself, Sterling, it's okay what you're doing. It's going to pay off at uh, some point uh, in the, the future. So keep doing it. Uh, so yeah, that's what I would say. So be focused and not, it's easy for people to get distracted is what you're saying. Exactly. Yes. Yes. You also talk about various ways of creative financing. What are some creative financial ways of, of buying and selling real estate these days? So one is, and this is what I did on my very first uh, multifamily property, which was a 46 unit, is the uh, it was going to be difficult to get financing on the property because it was 60% occupied. No lender wanted to touch it. So it ended up having the uh, owner, so agreed on the purchase price of $900,000 and it's a, and had them carry a note of $700,000 uh, and uh, had to put $200,000 down to acquire that uh, property. So that was the first uh, structure on that deal and then raised additional money from investors to take care of the improvements. And are there some other, so today with interest rates having risen, would you do always do fixed uh, mortgages or, or uh, variable? What would be your choice? Oh, fixed all day. Fixed or if you can do a assumable, which I'm starting to hear that's more popular now because interest rates are higher. And if you can assume a loan that's lower uh, that they gotten a couple years back, that's what I'm actually starting to hear uh, more of. When you buy real estate, is it sometimes good to pay out over time instead of give all cash up front? You mean to the the seller? Yeah, right. In other words, to take back a note, if you're the seller, to take back a note and get paid out over time. Yeah, I, I mean, that that's the pitch you do want to uh, give them because up front is there is the, the taxable uh, event that does happen then and there. And let's say they already have quite a bit of income uh, for, for that year. So then that's when they decide, okay, well, I don't want to do it this year because I already have a, a pretty high tax bill. So let's go ahead and push it to uh, at another, uh, another point. And then as they're uh, pushing that to a later point is they're getting those interest payments as well. So that's another benefit that you can sell to them. How do you find off-market multifamily houses? Oh, man. So this is my favorite topic. And 
the the path that I take is one, I first started driving for dollars. So just simply driving around looking for properties that need work. Uh, and then all of this information is public record for everyone is on here. You can see who owns any property that's out there that you can see. It's all public. Uh, sometimes it's in an LLC, so you have to do a little bit more research to find out who the owner is of that LLC. But uh, is I find out who the owner is, and then I just simply pick up the phone and ask them, yay or nay, would you be interested in offering your property, or would you be consider on selling? So do some of them get insulted by that? They don't really want to sell? Some of them do. There are some not so nice people out there, Jordan, I would say. And that's why you got to have thick skin when it when it comes to this. And I have a thick skin just coming from the upbringing that I came from. So it's a numbers game to find that right person that's in a situation to where they actually want and need to sell and have a desire and motivate it. So you're the one who calls all these people and tries to get you know, one or two out of 100 or something who is willing to sell. I mean, it's even less than that. But yes, <laughs> is that uh, I no longer make the calls, but uh, is I have uh, reps on the team that are making the calls. But formally, when things first started out, yes, I was making hundreds of calls and I was spending minimally, uh, I would say about 40 to 50 hours a week just on acquisitions. And that didn't even count every other areas of the business I was working on. So I would say about 80 hours, 70 to 80 hours a week, easily I was working. Wow. Not so healthy. In the short time we have left, why don't you talk about what difference it would make in people's lives if they follow your advice and get into real estate the way you've done it so successfully? I'd say, uh, and I'm, I'm still a work in progress for everyone on here. That's one thing is a, a disclaimer, but I would say is the freedom. And for the longest time, and this was the education I had to have a, a limiting beliefs was I always took the path in exchanging time for money. And in real estate, that's not the, the case is that what it, that each and every month that income is going to come in no matter if I work or not. And also I have a team that also does a lot of the day to day as well. So I would say that's the biggest thing. It will allow you to have freedom. So you have to have a team. You can't do it all yourself, as you're saying. I mean, you can, but is it's you're not going to have as much freedom. So if you take a travel somewhere and you're the one that's managing the property uh, yourself or properties, the, the call is going to go to you versus your property management company. When is it worth it to have a property management company as opposed to doing it yourself? That is a great question. And I'd say... This depends on how hands-on you actually want to be. So I would say if you're going to, I would say from the beginning is to do, I, I don't have the answers to that, Jordan. That's, that's a tough one. It depends on the individual, how much involved they want to be with their properties and how hands-off they want to be. Yeah, very good. But we've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Sterling White. He's a real estate investor. Uh, he has a book out called From Zero to 400 Units. How I Found Another Path and Discovered Freedom Through Real Estate. You can find out more at his website, sterlingwhiteofficial.com. Thanks so much, Sterling. We've learned a lot about real estate in the last hour. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.